634 in the church bibles this morning 634 be out of psalm 29 page 634 uh real quick for sign up purposes there's sheets in the back on each table for the passover celebration we're going to have on april 15th it's a friday evening at around 6 p.m i believe 
We'll try to get here a little before six. We'll get started right at six uh, on April 15th. So we just need a head count for the meal. So uh, feel free to sign up as you leave today. And we'll have those out between now and then. Uh, prayer requests, praise the Lord. We don't have a long list there. Um, some of us have a friend named Olin who we'd like for the church to lift up that uh, is kind of having a tough battle with some cancer and things like that that have showed up. And we'd ask for y'all to pray for Olin this week um, and for his family as he's uh, struggling through that and going through treatments and all that. And uh, continue to remember the people of Ukraine, of course. Uh, it's a crazy world we're living in. I think this scripture is so awesome to remind us that God is still God and he is still right there on his throne no matter what's going on around us. So uh, let's read this morning in Psalm 29, verses 1 through, thir- one through 2, and then we'll pray together. <clears throat> Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we come to you and we just continue, Lord, to cry out uh, for all the things we don't understand, uh, whether it's someone close to us or it's in a country far off, Lord. We, we know that nothing confuses you, nothing surprises you that you're still on your throne and we have full confidence that your will will be done. So I pray, God, that in these times you'll give us the confidence to, to continue to trust in you, uh, Lord, for, for guidance, uh, for all that we need, and, Lord, most of all, just that relationship we can have with you that brings peace no matter what's going on around us. Uh, we bless you, Jesus, for the time together today. We do pray for Olin and his family. Bless them, Lord. I pray strength um, for all of them. I pray wisdom for the doctors, but above all, Lord, I pray that you would work a mighty miracle, that even the doctors would be in awe of what you've done. So we pray that, of course, in all that you're doing, that you would be lifted up. And Lord, for the country of Ukraine and all the other countries that um, do not have privileges that we have to gather and worship in your name. Lord, I pray for those people. Keep them strong. I pray they can see your hand. Uh, Lord, guiding them and covering them and their families. And once again, uh, in such a difficult time, we pray that your name, Lord Jesus, would be lifted up high. And the Almighty God, you would be um, recognized to still be the one true and living God in all the world that we know. And we pray, God, that you would just grant us your presence today as we come to worship you, as we come to try to respond appropriately to your holiness today and we hear from you lord we just come hungry for a word from you we bless you we thank you jesus and it is you that we come before today in your name we pray all these things amen darkness we were waiting without 
Praise the Father, praise the Son. 
down to the crimson river Left my burdens on the shore I went down a sinner Came up a saint Died with Christ Now I'm reborn Yes, he washed me in his mercy And he cleansed me with his blood Now I stand complete I have been set free I found life there in the flood Let's sing it out Not the same I am changed Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb By his Yeah. 
place laid inside my tomb of sin you were buried for three days but then you walked right out again and now death has no sting and life has no end for I
Good morning. Well, I love those songs. You know how it is. Every Sunday I get up and say, I love those songs. I love the opportunity to come and worship. But that last song, and I love how God draws the right songs for the messages that he is bringing. And um, so I was just really listening to the words of that last song. And it says, there is nothing stronger than the wonder-working power of the blood. And it says that calls his sons and daughters from the darkness into glorious light. That's the heart of the Father, isn't it? Amen. So we're excited today um, to be looking and, and studying this understanding of Passover because Passover is coming as it, Bill made the announcements and Daniel was praying so powerfully about these places. I'm excited for us to study in this place today. Uh, if you'll turn with me, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit, but we're going to start with um, page, let me see, page 65 in Exodus 5. So if you'll turn to Exodus 5 on page 65. <clears throat> Passover is probably one of my favorite things to teach on of all things 
that we do come and teach about because it changed my life in such a powerful way. And I know that it's there to change your life as well. And so I get excited when God brings us to this place every year and allows us to come and be renewed by his powerful understanding of Passover. I tell this story almost every year, but I never want to get to a place where I'm not reminded of this place. And as we come to Passover every year, I think about it. And that is that I grew up going to church. I grew up um, going Sunday morning. We went Sunday night, and we went Wednesday night, and we went to vacation Bible school. And we were there, and I was there. But I want to tell you, I didn't understand a lot of things. And at the age of 52, and God began to change my life, I, re I began to realize something very powerful, that I knew a lot of things about Jesus, some stories. I knew some good stories. I knew some stories of the Bible. But I didn't understand the most powerful teaching of the Bible. And that was, I didn't understand why Jesus was the Lamb. Why we sang these songs, Worthy is the Lamb. Why we sang these songs about the blood of the Lamb. I didn't understand the Lamb. You might say, well, that's kind of crazy. You've been in church all your life. And I, and I would tell you, yeah, I had. But I didn't understand what we're going to study about today. And the power of what that last song was saying. The power in the wonder-working blood of the Lamb. So I pray that as we look at this today, that this will move deeply into your heart. And you will have a renewed or a fresh understanding of what it means to, be, to say worthy is the Lamb. A little intro before we look at Exodus 5 is we will find in Exodus that this is about God's children, the children of Israel, that he has brought up to Egypt because there was a famine in their land. And so they needed uh, food and, and they weren't having any rain to have their crops and so they ended up moving into Egypt. And this went along pretty well for many years. But then there was a new Pharaoh in town, and he became very jealous of the children of Israel, of God's children. And out of this place of jealousy, he became very fearful. And he was fearful because they were uh, growing in number. And uh, they were a very powerful people because they walked in the ways of the Lord, and he could see that. And so he became not only jealous, but became fearful that they would one day take over. And so that's where we kind of open up is to begin to understand that out of this fear, he became, and his people became uh, tyrants over the children of Israel and held them captive for 400 years. So we're going to open up today in chapter 5 
as you might remember as one of the stories, God looks down and he sees his children in this place of captivity. And the things that are being done to them and the wrongs that are being uh, against them and the, the harshness. And he sees his people, which I love that message within itself. Because if you think God doesn't see you where you are, you're wrong. He does. He sees you right where you are. So he looks down and he sees this situation going on. And he sends his servant Moses to come to Pharaoh. So that's where we're going to take up in chapter 5, verse 1. And it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. So, Moses and Aaron, they go up to Pharaoh and they say, you know, God wants you to let his people go. But he says something very powerful right here. He doesn't just say, I want you to let them go so they're no longer in captivity. That's really not what he says. But he says, I want you to let them go so that they can come out and worship me in my feast. God had a specific reason that he was calling the children out of the darkness, out of the captivity, and that was to worship him. So oftentimes when we see that God has brought us through something, we rejoice in the fact that we're not in that captivity or we're not in that bondage anymore. But we don't realize that God is doing it for his purpose, that we might come and worship him. It's chapter, in verse 2 of chapter 5, Pharaoh answers as we just read, and he says, who is this Lord? He says, I don't even know this Lord. Why would I be letting these kids go, letting these children, letting these people go? Because I'm, I'm the Lord here. I'm the God here. Pharaoh really felt like he was the God. So he had no respect for the Lord, no respect for God. And so he, he chooses to not let them go. As you may know the story, then God sends plague after plague after plague. Uh, first, he turns the water into blood. I can't imagine getting up one morning and turning on the faucet and nothing but blood pours out. I can't imagine going down to the river and it's completely blood. But that's what God did. He began to bring these plagues upon the land of Egypt to awaken Pharaoh to see who he is because he's just said, who is this God? God is going to show him. He's going to show him who he is. And he begins to do one thing after another. So he brings the, uh, the place of the water turning to blood. And then after that, he brings a plague of frogs. Now, I don't know about y'all. Some of you guys might be okay with frogs. I'm really not good with frogs. And, uh, but they had frogs everywhere. If you go and read, they were in the kitchens. They were in the homes. They were in the bedrooms. They were everywhere. Frogs, frogs, frogs. And there's a mighty plague of frogs. And then he brings the lice. Oh, my goodness. Do y'all like lice? I mean, no. Mm -mm. No. And then he brings the flies. And so you just see over and over and over again until and, and he, he's brought nine plagues. 
But every time Moses would go back and he would say, let God's people go. Let the children of Israel go out. And Pharaoh would say no. And each time that he said no to the things that God wanted, it hardened his heart. And so now we're going to pick up today, turn with me a few pages over to chapter 11. It's on page 72. While you're turning there, I want to remind you something. I said that they had been there 400 years that they've been in captivity. So I want you to hear something really important. The things that God's going to say to us today that I want you to grab hold of, I'm going to try to point those out to you. But one of the things is, is that the people that are being held captive in this day where Moses is, they weren't the ones that had moved up into Egypt. They, those people had died, and now they had been born uh, into this place of captivity. So these people were born into captivity. They didn't make a choice to go into this land. They were born into this. It is such a picture of us as we are born in the captivity of sin wasn't our desire to be born in such a sinful state. But because of sin, in the original fall, we are born in the, in the image of Adam who sinned. We are born in sin. Sometimes we see new little babies and we think, oh my goodness, they could not be born in sin. You are so wrong. The Bible tells us that they are born in sin. People sometimes, they say, aren't they angels? And I go, well, they're really not. They're human and born in sin. And if you think I'm wrong, then you just stop feeding your little one for a little while and see if they don't have their own way about things. They get upset. You don't change their diaper, they get upset. Do you find that to be true over there, Amanda? <laughs> they get upset in a hurry because they want their own way. They want their own way. We're born in that place and desire that we should get our way. So that's a picture that we see here as we understand that these people were born in captivity. So starting in chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 11, verse 1, we see that Moses is sent again to Pharaoh. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out of here altogether. Speak now in the hearing of the people, and let every man ask from his neighbor and every woman from her neighbor articles of silver and articles of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's uh, servants, in the sight of the people." Then Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits 
on his throne, even to the firstborn of the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all of the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before, nor shall it be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue, against man or beast, that you may know that the Lord does make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these and all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out all the people who follow you. After that I will go out. Then he went from Pharaoh in a great anger. But the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not heed you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land. So Moses and Aaron did all the wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the children of Israel go out of the land. I want to stop right there. I want to help you understand this word hardened, because it may strike you that that shouldn't be the way God would do if he's trying to get Pharaoh to hear his ways, and yet he's hardened his heart. That may seem not uh, very godly to us. That may not see the way we think God ought to do this. But what I want you to understand is God has been coming time and time and time and time again and trying to uh, help Pharaoh to see to bow the knee to what he desires, but Pharaoh has been hardened. And so he hardened his own heart. But this word hardened right here is an interesting word. It is uh, kozak. And kozak is a Hebrew word that really means firm or to strengthen. In other words, what God is saying is he is strengthening where Pharaoh is. Pharaoh has already dug in his knees, and he said, I'm sorry, dug in his heels, and he says, I am not letting them go time and time and time again. And God is simply saying, that is your desire. I will strengthen you in what you desire. We even see this in the New Testament where, uh, the, where Paul is teaching, and he says, and they did not does, they did not change to be a new person as God was calling them to be, but they stayed in the desires of their heart, and God turned them over to the lust of their heart. So we see here that this place of Pharaoh is hardening his heart. God is simply making him strong in what he has desired. Verse 12, I mean, chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So this is important. If you like to underline things, I always like to underline. It's the beginning of months. What God is saying to the children of Israel through Moses, he's saying, I'm going to lead you out of this captivity, and this is going to be a new beginning. They had a calendar. They had a calendar that they were on. This was not the first month. But God is saying, in your world, I am creating a new beginning, and you will have a fresh start. 
It's a powerful understanding as God delivers them out that he's bringing them into a new beginning. Verse 3 says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb. According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So every family is to select a lamb, a lamb for each family. And it says, verse 4, and if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it from the sheep and, or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So what God is saying, starting in verse 3, he says, On the 10th day of the month, on the 10th day of the month, that the father is to go out and to take the lamb. And he's together a lamb that's without blemish, and it's in the first year, and it's a male. And he says, and then bring it into the house until day 14. Now, I have thought about this a lot, Teresa, because I cannot imagine bringing in the lamb on day 10 and keeping it in the house for 14 days, you know? and uh, But this was important to them because, first of all, God said to do it this way. And second of all, they were trying to take care of this lamb, that this lamb would continue to be without spot or blemish. It could not have any problems with it at all. So the father goes out and chooses this lamb, brings it into the house, and now it says that to keep it into the house until day 14. If you underline in your Bible, underline day 14. This is a great place. And um, you might want to underline also that the lamb was without blemish and a male of the first year. Then it says in verse 6 that the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. This is important to understand is twilight. When I think about twilight, I think about the sun going down, and sometimes we call that the twilight of the evening. That is not what it's talking about at this particular time in the Hebrew understanding. In fact, if you read this, it would probably be better to change this word at to between. Between the evenings. So they understood that starting at noon would be working towards the evenings. And so noon was considered an evening and then at sundown was considered an evening, about 6 o'clock. So between noon and sundown, this was, these were evenings. This right here is saying this time that they're going to kill the lamb is between the evenings. Between noon and between 6 o'clock. So at 3 o'clock would be the time between the evenings. So if you write in your Bibles, you might put there that this would be at 3 p.m. between the evenings at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood 
and put it on the two doorposts and on the lentils of the house where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roast in fire its head and it, with legs and it, and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. He didn't want any of it left over. All of it had to be eaten. Verse 11 says, And thus you shall eat it with the belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and with your staff in your hand, so you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So he is saying, you have to eat all of it. I don't want any of it left. This is such an understanding that we see uh, later in, in the crucifixion as Jesus is talking and preparing the people to understand what his body represents and what his blood represents. And he says, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he said, if you don't, you're not followers of me. This is the picture he's talking about, is that Jesus is saying, you have to eat all of me. You can't just have a little bite here and now. You can't just have a part of what I am. You have to come and receive all of me to truly be a follower. And then he says, as we just read there, he says, and you shall eat this with your belt on your waist and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. He's saying, you got to be ready you got to be ready to go and do whatever I call you to do. And Moses is telling these people, you're in captivity, and I'm going to lead you out, but you got to be ready to go when I call you. You can't be diddle-daddling around. You can't do it on your own timing. You can't decide that I'll go the next day. He says, you got to be ready to go. you got to be ready to go. And he says, and so you shall eat in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt, and on that night will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. You see all of these, and we studied this several years ago, and maybe again one day we will, but the, all of the plagues that came in Egypt were against their gods. They were against other gods. I think about our gods, the things that we raise up, the things that we bow down to. You say, I don't bow down to anything. Oh, that is not true, my friend. <laughs> you just haven't had your eyes open to what you do bow down to. One of the things that comes to my mind so clearly is a place of control. God first began to talk to me years ago about the spirit of control that I had. And I had such a desire to be in control of my life so that I, th I could make things work out as I wanted them to be. And that spirit of control, every time a situation would come up and I would go, yes, I need to handle this. I am responsible. I'm independent. I'm strong. I should take care of this. And I would bow to the spirit of control. Spirit of fear, every time something would come up, God would uh, ask me to do or, or try to lead me into something. The, the devil would come and begin to speak into my mind this place of fear and the what ifs. What if this happens? What if that happens? And so I didn't live in peace. I, I bowed to fear. So yes, we have gods and we do bow. 
But the Lord is not okay with that, and he sent plagues against those, and he brought judgment against the gods. Verse 13 says, Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. So verse 14 is really awesome. So he says this is going to be a time, a memorial, a place of remembrance. And he said you're going to keep this feast for throughout your generations. But then he goes on and he says it's an everlasting ordinance. This word we learned many years ago is a word called olam. And I love this understanding because this is what tells us that we're supposed to be keeping Passover today. Because we're still in the time frame of forever. You see, I thought about this place of forever. And to me, forever is as long as I understand things to be in my existence. So to, forever would be end when I die, right? I mean, my forever would kind of end, but not God's forever. God's forever is forever beyond <laughs> forever. In fact, it means before time and beyond time. We will actually celebrate with Jesus in the New Jerusalem we will celebrate Passover. So this place of celebrating Passover is right here. It is a forever place. I didn't know that till I was 52 years old and God began to open my understanding but I see it today the other thing I want you to to turn now over here I want to read starting skip over to verse 21 <clears throat> it says then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them pick out and take your lambs uh, for yourselves according to your family and kill the Passover lamb and you shall take a, ba a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the bacon, I'm sorry, in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and he will see the blood on the lintel, and on the two doorposts, and the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever, Olam. Okay, so Moses is gathering the elders, and he's saying, go out, get your lamb, bring it in on the, uh, on the 10th day. On the 14th day, you're going to kill the lamb at 3 o'clock, right? So how this is, he says, then you're going to paint this blood over the door of the house. So what they would do is they would come to the door of the house, and in front of the doorway, they would have this little trough that had been dug out right here in the dirt. And that was primarily to let the rain run off so it wouldn't come into the house. So that little trough was already there. 
and that would allow the rain to go down the sides and not flood into the house. But he's saying go to the front of the door and right there is where you're going to slit the throat of the lamb. What he's saying is you're going to bleed that lamb into this little trough right here at the very foot of the doorway. And then he says you grab some hyssops and, and maybe one day we'll look at that understanding about hyssop but it, it's a picture of forgiveness and redemption. And he says, grab these hyssops and take that and then paint it on the sides of the door and on the top of the door and on, on both sides of the door. In other words, what he's saying is then you're going to have blood at the bottom and you're going to have blood up and down the sides and then you're going to have blood across the top and the blood is covering the door of your house. And then he says, and I, and I love this as we read this, in verse 22, he says, um, I'm sorry, verse 23, and he says, And the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lentils and the door, two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house. I want you to think about how this was. Would you have made sure you did this exactly like God said to do that? If you knew your family's life was at stake, would you make sure you got it painted just right? Or would you be tempted to say, well, I'm just going to do the top and we've already got the bottom. I'm really not going to worry about the sides. No, I don't think we would. I think we would have been a little careful about doing exactly what God has called us to do. It's a picture of where we're supposed to be in our walk with Jesus, but we're not oftentimes there. We oftentimes want to see what we can get by with rather than what is required. But, but God says, he says, he says in verse 23, he says, the Lord will, you know, will be striking the Egyptians. And, the, and then it says that he will pass over. Do you see that right there in verse 23? It says the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer in. So what I thought is that for many years I thought, well, the, um, this is all going on, and, and the Lord is in the area, but the destroyer is coming, and, uh, and then he sees the blood, and he would pass over. That's what I thought was happening. But that's not what is going on here. This word is a different word than the word right above that. So if you look at the first of 23, it says the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. That word is a verb word. It is a bar. But down here midway through and it says the Lord will pass over the door. That word is Pesach. And what that word means and what God is saying is that I will, that word means to leap over or to jump over. And so for a long time I asked the Lord about that. I said, what does that mean, Lord, that you're going to jump over this house? And he said, no, 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 no. He's saying, I'm going to jump over, I'm going to cover it 
so that the destroyer, the enemy, the death angel, cannot get to your door, and he will have to pass over. That is the heart of the Father in our lives, is that if, we're, if our homes, if our doors are covered with the blood, then the Lord covers us so that the enemy cannot come in and attack, attack us. He can't come in and destroy you. But if our door is not covered, if our door has not been completely sealed with the blood, if there are places that we've given the enemy a right to come in, the destroyer has an opportunity. Do you see that? Do you see that? You see, if we only covered maybe the top part and maybe even one side of the door, but we didn't do exactly like God said and we thought it would be okay, then, oh my goodness, the destroyer has a right. I've heard this all my life. Not all my life. Ever since God changed my life, he began to show me how the enemy has a right because we give him a right to bring in destruction in our life. And that's exactly what it's talking about right here. If you don't get this just right, if you don't do exactly and come with the blood, then you're not protected. The blood, it has to be the blood. And Jesus says, you have to drink all of it. You have to eat all of me. If you don't come in alignment with these things, you are not protected from the destroyer. Verse 24 says, and, it shall, uh, and you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall, you shall keep his service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the house of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. So what he is saying, now when your kiddos come and say, now why are we doing this Passover that you would say to them, it's the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over, who covered our houses. That's that Pesach word right there. Pesach word right there that he covered us. He protected us. He shielded us. And, and then it goes on to say, from the enemy, from, and, and, he, and delivered our whole households here. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. They saw. They saw the situation. You see, I, I think if we can 
just take for a moment and imagine how things were. That the father goes out and he gets the lamb and he puts the blood on the door. And then you've got to wait until midnight. And you're sitting in your house waiting. And all of a sudden you begin to hear screams out in the neighborhood or down the street. Because people have gotten up and gone in and their firstborn is dead. How many of you in here are firstborn? Anybody in here firstborn? You're firstborn, you're firstborn, you're firstborn. Anybody else in here firstborn? I'm a firstborn. But all of us in our family had a firstborn, didn't we? So even if you're not, there was a firstborn. Many of you may have a firstborn. So I can't imagine how the whole country, the whole country is under this plague, under this judgment of God, because they would not bow the knee to God's way and his purpose and his plan. They wouldn't bow the knee. And so God's judgment brought destruction through the destroyer. But the plan, the grace, people say, don't you believe in grace? Ah, yes, yes, Lord, thank you for your grace. Because you see, these children of Israel did nothing to deserve God's plan to bring them out of captivity. That's his grace, is they were held captive. But God created a plan. He said, you, I don't want you to be captive anymore. I'm going to bring you out. And that's exactly the way he does with, with us. He sees us in our sin, and he says, I don't want you to be destroyed in this place. I'll give you a plan. But they had to follow the plan exactly to be set free. So God's grace is, is that he gives us a plan. But we can't add to it. We can't take away from it. We can't change it. We have to be bowing the knee to his plan. This is such a picture of Jesus. I want to show you some places to, to just grab hold of. Look at uh, John 12. It's on page 1238. While you're turning there, and I just want to say on this place that every, every year when I come to this place and teach on this place, I think about the very thing that you have to do exactly what Moses was calling them to do. That's pretty easy to see in this situation, isn't it, in Egypt? And yet I see where we have, as a world, change the plan of God of keeping his Passover to incorporate a holiday that we like better or many like better called Easter. It's not God's holiday. And, and next week we'll talk about this a little bit more, but they created their own holiday in about the fourth century. It's not under the forever 
Passover place. And yet people are saying, yes, but we're worshiping Jesus. And to me, I want to say, you are not painting the doorpost of your house with the blood of Jesus from the Bible. Your Easter is a different Jesus. It's not the Passover lamb. John chapter 12, verse 1, tells us something very important here. It says, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet spikenard, I'm sorry, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance of the oil. But the one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for three hundred denarii and given to the poor? This is he This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone, she has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came. Not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on the account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that the feast was coming to Jerusalem, I'm sorry, The next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So John tells us some very important things here that if we're not careful, we can miss. So it starts off in chapter 12 verse 1 and it says then six days before the Passover six days before the Passover so the Passover is at the end of the day day 14 remember we underlined that while ago Jesus said on the 14th day you'll kill the Passover lamb and then that night they had the Passover meal and celebration so on the 14th day at evening is the Passover. This says the six days before the Passover, Jesus came into Bethany. And so you see right here that day 14, day 15, I'm sorry, day 13, day 12, day 11, day 10, day 9. So nine days before the end of that day of the Passover, 
Jesus comes in. Oh, let me, I, sorry, I gave that to you wrong. Nine days before, okay, they, so Jesus comes into Bethany. Are you with me? Now, look down, verse 2, and then it says, and they had a supper. So important that John would tell us that they had supper because we know that the Jewish people, their day changes at sundown. So Jesus comes into Bethany on day 9. They have supper that night, and it turns to day 10 in the evening in the Jewish understanding of their calendar, all right? Then it says in verse 12, the next day, that is the next day after that meal, is day 10. Then Jesus comes into, in verse 12, he's coming into Jerusalem on day 10. Do you see that? Does everybody see that? So verse 12, on day 10, it says the next day, which is going to be day 10, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus, what feast are they talking about there? Passover. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So lots of people are coming in to Jerusalem for the feast, and Jesus comes in on day 10. Do you remember when we were reading in Exodus while ago, and I said, if you underline in your Bible, underline right here when it talked about on day 10, they brought the lamb into the house. Do you remember that, Teresa? Day 10, they brought the lamb into the house. On day 10, God, the Father, brings his lamb into the house in Jerusalem. God brings his lamb. You see, the pictures that we see over here in Exodus of the Passover, the first Passover, play out 1,500 years later in the life of Jesus. As God brings his lamb into the house. And they are, the crowd gathers and they are singing, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. This group of people recognized who he was. They recognized he was the Son of God. They didn't understand that he was going to be crucified, but they knew he was. Turn with me to... Um, Mark 14, it's on page 
starting in chapter 14, verse 12, it says, Now in the first day of unleavened bread, which we'll teach on in a couple of weeks, when they'd killed the Passover lamb, the disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he had said to them. And they prepared the Passover. In the evening, he came with the twelve. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, It is the one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The night that we celebrate Passover, that will make clear, clear that up completely for you. You'll understand it better. The Son of Man indeed goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good that that man, if he had never been born. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many assuredly i say to you i will no longer drink of the fruit of this vine until the day when i drink it anew in the kingdom of god so jesus celebrates passover before his death and he celebrates it with his disciples and he's telling them the the bread is my body that was given for you and the blood the blood of the lamb is my blood and he's opening up this understanding that they had been participating in 1,500 years. And he begins to help them to understand more clearly that the blood of the Passover lamb is his. I want to read one last scripture for you. Um, let's look at Mark 15, just a page over. If you're looking for a place to read this week, it would be an excellent place to start in John 14, 15, 16, and uh, all the way uh, to uh, and 19 through verse uh, chapter 19. This would be an excellent place to just read. But I want to show you these last few things in verse uh, 25 of chapter 15. It says it. Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. So they've brought Jesus to the place where they're going to crucify him and hang him on the cross. And it's the third hour, and it says, And the inscription of his accusation was written above, The King of the Jews. And as you remember, he was crucified there between two robbers. But it says it was now the third hour. That is 9 a.m. in the morning. 
That's what the third, that was the understanding of Jewish time, Hebrew time, was being 9 a.m. Now look with me over to, across the page on verse 33. And it says, Now when the sixth hour had come, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So the sixth hour is about noon. Okay? And darkness covered the land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, which is about three o'clock in the afternoon. Okay? In the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, uh, Eli, Eli, Alam, Sabachnia, uh, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus, it then says in um, verse 37, And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. So at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, when the Father is slitting the throat, remember between twilight, between noon and 6 at 3 o'clock, the Father slits the throat of the Lamb and begins to paint the door. At 3 o'clock, 1,500 years later, as this is happening, the lambs are being uh, brought to the temple now for sacrifice at 3 o'clock. And the priest is slitting the throat of the lambs at 3 o'clock. Jesus takes his last breath. And the blood to cover your door is spilled out. It is so powerful to me to be able to see how God took the understanding from the first Passover and fulfilled it in the life of Jesus through his death. I do believe that 1,500 years before Jesus, that as people were deciding whether they would trust Moses. You know, I don't know that everybody followed Moses out. We don't know. But there may have been some that, that just thought, no, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I believe this story. I don't know if I believe this God. I don't know if this guy's telling the truth. I, I, I think this all sounds like a lot of craziness. They'd never painted blood on their doors before. They'd never killed a lamb like this before. What in the world were they thinking? This all sounded crazy. But it was a picture that would come to pass, that we would be able to see the fullness of what happened in Exodus through the blood of Jesus. Passover, it's a time of deliverance, of celebrating a time of deliverance.
Moses led the children out of captivity, of bondage. Jesus' desire is to lead you out of captivity and bondage. If you're here today and there are places that God is awakening you to the destruction that the enemy is bringing into your life, the door is not is not covered with his blood. There is something that has an opening. There is a place that the enemy has a right. That is not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is to bring you completely out of captivity, that the enemy, the destroyer, will have no right, that he would have to pass over because he sees the blood covering the door of your heart but if you're here today and struggling with places that that are open and and allowing this destruction I pray that you would come to the back and and allow our elders to stand with you as Jesus comes and sets you free and starts your life on a new beginning just as he did the children of Israel stand with me please
Thank you for your blood.